Hello, I am Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, I sat down with Rashik Sarif, Managing Director and Future Mobility Tech Leader at Deloitte, to discuss the importance of brands, why autonomous trucking innovators are expanding into Texas, and how companies can prepare for the future. And away we go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Rashik. Oh, thank you for having me here, Grayson. It's great to see you again. It's great to see you, and I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because you and I have known each other for quite a long time, and you were at Mercedes R&D, but before that, you were at Mercedes-Benz USA. What was the difference like going from the traditional OEM side to the research side early in your career? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question, Ian. Um, I also want to reflect a bit on how that's different with my role in Deloitte now. And um, when I was at Mercedes-Benz USA, which primarily focused on sales and marketing, I, I would say it's, it would be like any other corporate organization. Um, but the unique aspect of Mercedes is, is that the people were very much proud, uh, myself included, for working for such a great brand. Um, there was a lot of passion and dedication in, in order to kind of drive um, you know, towards, you know, the number one customer experience. And I think what, what was different is when I switched over to, over to R&D uh, back in 2012 out in Silicon Valley, it was the same type of culture except now focusing on getting the latest and greatest into our vehicles um, and even pushing the envelope further in the sense of how do we go beyond the vehicle towards the experience, towards um, emerging tech on, on robo-taxis, new business models and so forth. So it was just it was just an amazing experience overall. I'm happy you brought up brand because Mercedes is, is a household brand. Deloitte is a household brand. Both brands are associated with excellence, excellency and, and doing really good, amazing things. And there's this trend in your career where you go from one great brand to another great brand. Was that on purpose or are you just following these great brand paths to add value to, for them? I would say that I didn't realize that until one day I was watching the U.S. Open uh, last year where I saw a Mercedes-Benz commercial, and then right after that was a Deloitte commercial. And then and my wife made a comment like, you, do you realize you just went from one luxury brand to another? And I said, huh. It was, it was actually, it was like, it, it, didn't, it didn't dawn on me, but I think part of it has to do with, with me, you know, striving for an organization that does have uh, a sense of history, pride, uh, reputation, and, and both both Mercedes-Benz and Deloitte have you know 100 plus years of experience, um, great talent, um, great caliber of uh, professionals, and I think it's just it's, it's a wonderful way when I moved over to Deloitte to kind of just continue challenging my career development path. So I, I, I wouldn't say it was intentional. Maybe it was subconsciously intentional, but um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, intended to. The U.S. ad department got it right. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, the ad department definitely did. It was just, it's funny. Like the back-to-back -back was just really funny. What were some of your biggest takeaways from your time at Mercedes? Because you were there quite a while and I'm sure that you, you learned a lot and you experienced a lot. The, the experience has been extremely invaluable. And in, in what I appreciated in my 15 plus years at Mercedes in the various roles was the willingness of leadership to allow me to push the envelope and giving me the flexibility to drive innovation. And it wasn't not only within my role of, of leading innovation at Silicon Valley, but even before then, it was always 
of Rashik challenge us on what we need to be doing to strive to be the best. And in that entire process, you know, I've hit some roadblocks. I, I stumbled along the way, but it really allowed me to grow my career. And it most importantly, allowed me to expand on understanding the world of mobility. Um, as you can imagine, I started out as an engineer at Mercedes-Benz, focusing on, on making sure that our vehicles are top notch. And then it kind of grew and grew towards, you know, earlier in the supply chain, the value chain towards how do we are able to expand and grow the ecosystem of automotive and then even going beyond that mobility. And I think that's what I really valued the most, especially in my last probably four to five years at Mercedes was seeing the impact of mobility in both in logistics, energy, sustainability, smart cities, um, real estate, it just became more and more obvious that the world of mobility went significantly beyond automotive. It definitely goes beyond automotive and it, and it goes into brands. So I have a meeting um, with you and, and, your, and your colleague at that time who was a CEO of innovation there. And, and we come in and I roll in with the mayor of Beverly Hills, California. And, and Mayor Mirror says, I want to put Mercedes-Benz robo-taxis in my city. What was going through your head when that came out of the mayor's mouth? Because you had this incredible expression on your face, like, wow. <laughs> I, I did. And, and maybe part of it was like, I was, I was thinking like, who's this Grayson guy that's with the mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, had, you had really long hair at the time and yeah. your snazzy suit. And I was just like, who's this guy? And where did the mayor of Beverly Hills find Grayson? Uh, it was just like, I like, wait a minute. Um, but then I knew why, like afterwards, like after I got to know you, I understood why that was the case. I mean, you're, 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 and, and I'm not trying to toot your horn here for, but for a second, what, what I really appreciate about getting to know you is that you really think outside the box, you sense where, you know, the trends are going and you're able to connect the dots and how things will be coming together, especially around mobility. And so it's amazing to see while we're focusing on this podcast about where I've gone and where I'm seeing the future of mobility, also to kind of reflect and acknowledge your role and how you've progressed also with respect to your career. Um, but to answer your question, particularly about the mayor of Beverly Hills, the expression was primarily because I was like, wow, this is cool that we'll get to potentially, you know, look at seeing what we can do on a potential pilot in Beverly Hills. But at the same time, it, it stirred the question of, well, what is it we're, that we're going to gain out of it, right? In, in, in the sense of how do we go from piloting towards commercialization? And that was a question, that was like the first moment where that question dawned on me when, when the mayor was in that room with us. And it was, it was fun where we were in that room. And then from that room, uh, you took us down into the R&D lab. And I'll never forget it. You had an, an S500 that was modified for self-driving. And Arnold, who was the CEO at that time, and said, look at this, and, and opened the trunk. And he said, this won't work for our customers because there's no trunk space. And the mayor goes, exactly. That's what the dealership tells me all the time. It was just one of those funny funny things that happened on there. And, and when we went back, we went and met with the Mercedes-Benz dealership, and they were on board. And the one thing I noticed about Mercedes was the dealer side was willing to work with the innovation side to do something special, which was, not, which was completely unheard of at a lot of other OEM companies. It says a lot about the leadership of Mercedes and then – we had this, I'll never forget it, and um, I'll keep it high level because I think it's still under NDA, but marrying the two brands of Mercedes and Beverly Hills is just this iconic experience in 5.7 miles. So it was a really great, fun exercise that we went through. 
Yeah, I, I would I would agree so. And and I think, you know, going back to the initial comments and in, in that we were discussing just a little while ago about branding, um, when when trying to develop relationships and especially in trying to prove out a new concept, the brands are very important and there needs to be a synergy between those. And obviously Beverly Hills is known for its luxury um, lifestyle as well as with respect to uh, celebrity status for Day or Drive. And I think, you know, having, you know, the, the discussion about how we would go about in, in developing some type of pilot program there with Mercedes um, definitely lend to, you know, its benefits. But I think, you know, one of the questions that you brought up in the sense of, or the comment about the trunk space, it is, it is true that as we go towards in realizing, you know, robo taxis on the road, we also need to take into consideration of the use cases around how it would be applied and whether it would be applicable for various demographics of users. Um, and so that's, while it was, it was a joke at the time, it really shed the light on the challenges that we would face um, as we get towards commercialization. Because it's the real world challenges when you go into those environments of Mercedes customers, that was one of the things that they wanted. Same thing with the seats and the sound system. There's all these things that your customers are, are used to, which is really good. So you have this incredible experience of understanding brands, nuances of customers, working with cities, and now you're at Deloitte leading the future mobility practice. You bring this wealth of experience and knowledge to Deloitte. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with the practice at Deloitte, could you kind of share a high level overview and, and what you're bringing to that practice? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'll share a little bit about the practice and then also a hint of why I went in that direction with Deloitte. So Deloitte started and embarked on this journey with Future Mobility back in 2015. And it was really focusing on not the individual components of mobility, but transforming organizations and their communities so that they can formulate and be part of this new mobility ecosystem. And we've seen in the last decade how mobility has had a significant impact in society, um, not with respect to just single occupancy vehicles and public transit, but how digitization has really brought on a whole new wealth of different types of mobility solutions in the market, but also in the sense of digital platforms and connecting them together. And our focus within Deloitte is really on that promise of future mobility where it could be, which is where more people and goods can move faster, safer, cheaper, and cleaner. And also what's really important with greater accessibility, inclusivity, and equity than before. And I think that's really important to point out, accessibility, inclusivity, and equity, um, because sometimes that is a component that's missed in the sense of looking at the overall business benefit of moving people better. And quite honestly, the reason why I got excited about joining Deloitte when I had the conversations with the executives there was because my realization while at Mercedes was all about there's only so much you can do uh, in one part of the vertical, but the ecosystem challenge is a challenge that um, many can't necessarily solve unless you go into an organization that has the capabilities while still being in an unbiased manner to kind of play ecosystem architect. And that was the thing that intrigued me about Deloitte is they're in a role where you can work with multiple clients, multiple stakeholders, and still be a neutral party to be able to convene, be able to maintain the relationship, and to be able to drive execution. 
And so the ecosystem is a powerful one that you bring up. And let's just say I'm Acme Motors and I engage you and I'm starting to look at what does a post-COVID world look? Do you get somebody from the healthcare practice, somebody from the payments practice, um, somebody maybe from, from emerging tropical diseases and kind of say, okay, guys, we need to figure this problem out for Acme Motors. So when uh, Acme Motors engages with you, they get the full resources of Deloitte with all the specialties? That's a great question, uh, Grayson. And, and, and what's interesting about it is that, and what I love about Deloitte is that we're thinking about all these different types of issues as it's happening, and we develop thought leadership around it. And so in particular with COVID, um, earlier this year, when we were at the start of the pandemic, um, Deloitte did join forces with Salesforce in determining what are the possible scenarios um, that occur in a post-pandemic world uh, when we're looking at three to five years in order to prepare for that. And the subset of that, uh, my colleagues and I worked on a white paper focusing on how do, would that have an implication on mobility. And when you break it down, there's two things to take into consideration. One is the impact of COVID-19 itself, the economic fallout, and then the intersection of the two in the sense of how that challenges um, mobility, transit systems, and so forth. We came up with four mobility scenarios. Um, they are the passing storm, lone wolves, good company, and sunrise in the east. I'll give a very high overview in the sense of each one of them so you kind of get a flavor. Um, the passing storm is pretty straightforward in the sense of the pandemic is contained effectively by governments um, without lasting and even economic repercussions. I think here we are about you know eight months later, I think the passing storm is a scenario that we can't necessarily bank on at the moment. Uh, the lone wolf scenario is saying that a prolonged pandemic spurs government to adopt isolationist policies, shortening supply chain and increasing surveillance. Um, the, while this necessarily gives greater authority for governments to combating COVID-19, it does have a reciprocal effect in the sense of cities um, having an impact on forced data sharing, regulating mobility to meet system-wide goals. Um, so there's pros and cons to that. The good company scenario is an interesting one where it says governments around the world is struggling to handle the crisis. So this is where large companies step in to kind of set up key parts of the solution. So at a great example is contact tracing. You know, private companies came up and offered solutions around contact tracing to, to be able to support and, and trying to mitigate, you know, the, the spread of the, the virus. But how does that then have a reciprocal effect towards uh, seamless transportation um, because of the fact that now we're setting precedent about opening opening up the sharing of mobility data potentially here. And then the final scenario is sunrise in the east. This one is interesting where while the rest of the world is trying to, to handle the pandemic, China and East Asian nations are becoming to take advantage of, of the fact of having a first stab in managing the virus. And so that will lead to other dominant uh, potential repercussions in the sense of them t dominating in various technological uh, revolution, including the mobility. So those are the four key scenarios uh, that we've laid out. And there's a whole deep dive on, on Deloitte.com with respect to how we broke out in the relation to mobility. But there was four key no regret moves that came out of that. One is that there's going to be a lot more trip substitution via digitization. Uh, we see that already today in the sense of many people working from home, um, utilizing Zoom or any other form of, of video um, telepresence. And that will have an impact with telemedicine, will have an impact in the sense of 
you know, the movement of goods um, towards coming to home, there'll be more focus on safety. Uh, we've seen in the sense of how um, that has had an impact on airlines, private transit, even public transit, and those measures and how does that change in the sense of um, uh, density with respect to how many people can be in a, in a train, for example. The, we've seen the impact on e-commerce that will continue to happen moving forth. Um, and then also reconfiguring mobility landscape. One of the things that's been really interesting is that because of the, the time that many of us uh, across the world were in shelter in place, it gave an opportunity um, for cities to revamp and reconfigure the mobility landscape. So here in San Francisco, not only have they ramped up on you know, the bike lanes, but they've also implemented slow streets to reduce traffic flow in certain residential areas and changing the dynamic of how streets can be used. And then also the other thing to take into consideration is we see a lot more of these uh, outdoor seating arrangements where parking spaces used to be. As you can imagine, you know, in New York, um, that used to be such a big issue around Times Square before they like closed off pedestrian areas. And now that's become more of a commonplace. Now that's happening nationally. Um, so those are the four think, uh, key no regret moves that we think are going to be pretty evident regardless of the scenarios. Those are interesting. And you hit your nail on the head on a couple of things. One is the economic fallout. Two is, is the politics. And there's clearly going to be a, a no size fits all. It's going to have to be a, ta a tailored approach to mobility. So if you're advising, let's just call it Acme Mobility, and you're looking at they're operating in, say, San Francisco, they're operating in Austin, Miami, and I'm and let's say I don't know Bismarck, North Dakota. Three completely different markets, three completely different pol political environments, both on the state level and the local level, and also from a regular regulatory standpoint. Are you helping those companies implement strategies that are hyper hyper local so they can scale in those markets? Since there's really no true way to scale mobility in the United States uh, across all 50 states yet. Grayson, there is no one size fits all with mobility. That is, that is, there is a fundamental underlying uh, platform that needs to be built uh, when when it comes to mobility solutions. Um, but the applications on lo locality, uh, regional uh, locations, um, that all has to be customized based on the needs, the movement of people, what are the policies of those regions. Um, so it's, it is it is scalable, um, but it does require a base foundation. So you're right about no size fits all, but to me, there, there, there is one thing, and you mentioned platforms, it's a payment platform. So no matter if you're in Bismarck or you're in Miami, you're in Austin, you're in San Francisco, it's still going to run on a payment network. How do we enable seamless multimodal payment transactions? So if you're on a scooter and then you're in a robo taxi or you're in a via or in a public transit, it's all one seamless transaction. How do we get there since that is something that can scale? Grayson, we, we at, at Deloitte have been working on this concept of a mobility operating system for many years now, and um, components of it are being built as we speak. Um, before we get to payment transactions, we need to get to an understanding of how, in multiple levels, one is how do individuals, um, how can individuals access different modes of modality through a single dashboard versus having 15 different apps. So they understand what is the best um, optimized route for them to take. Um, then to understand what does that payment look like and then make a choice. 
Then you have the other end of the spectrum is how a regional authority can influence individuals to move at a macro level um, to meet goals with respect to congestion, sustainability, equity, and so forth, and having the levers to provide incentives as well as you know um, demand pricing to be able to shift and move people towards where they need to. That currently doesn't exist um, in any large capacity. That needs to be built first. Once that is built, then payment transaction has an important role in it um, in the fact that you can now provide those incentives and start cutting prices on in each individual mode to, to be able to provide that better incentive for the individual user to take a certain route versus you know their individual occupied vehicle. You stepped on a political hot button issue, so I'm going to jump off that and I'm going to jump to supplies and, and goods. We've spoken a lot about passengers and moving moving individuals, but we really haven't spoken a lot yet about moving goods. And I'm seeing in what I'm calling in the marketplace, the great pivot to trucking, where a lot of companies that were primarily focused on moving passenger and autonomous vehicles are now focused on moving goods on long haul freight. What are your thoughts on this giant pivot that we're seeing in the marketplace? It is a trend that we've been seeing for a while. Um, even when I was back in Mercedes, uh, we've noticed that there was going to be a potential plateau in the development of passenger autonomous vehicles and cost from all the R&D perspective, cost would hit a certain threshold that on the trucking side, the commercial side of the business will then step in. Um, and I think that threshold was hit and this is why you're starting to see the significant gain in momentum around um, automated trucking. Uh, in fact, um, in my role at Deloitte, uh, we spent the last year in developing um, an entire practice, a subset of practice focusing on autonomous trucking, not necessarily on the technology piece, but on what is the impact that it will cause in preparing shipping, logistics, fleet, retailers, um, infrastructure companies on automated trucking as it rolls out through the United States. Um, it is coming. Um, in fact, based on the use cases and how we're, how you know the various players are working on rolling it out, um, it is going to come fairly quickly. Um, we have built an adoption model that shows not only um, when AV trucking is coming, but most importantly, the question is where. Uh, it's not going to be rolled out nationally. It's going to be focusing on the Southwest at first. Um, and then it rolls out beyond that at at a different time scale. You're, you're right about the Southwest, but there's Texas. Everybody's seeming to move into Texas to Simple's there, Waymo's there, Embark's there, Kodiak's there, Aurora's there. Why Texas? Is it because it's the Houston to Dallas run, the Houston to San Antonio? Is it just these long stretches of highway? Why is the industry um, moving to Texas? There is... Uh, multiple reason why Texas is a hot spot with automated trucking, but there's a couple of high level points that I want to mention. One, uh, a couple years ago, there was legislation that was put in place at the state level that gave the ability for testing with automation to happen with certain levels of policy that could not be superseded at a local municipal level. So this gives an ability for any type of automated vehicle 
to go through an entire state without having to meet different requirements. Two, the Texas Department of Transportation, uh, regional authorities, including, for example, who we have a great relationship with, with the North Central Texas Council of Governments, has emphasized and put a significant focus on setting up a proper infrastructure across the Texas Triangle. So connecting San Antonio, Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, that entire triangle with the necessary infrastructure to help accelerate the commercialization of AV trucking. On top of that, there is a significant amount of inland ports, distribution facilities. Um, Texas is really the heartland when it comes to supply chain and rolling out through the rest of the US. There is a major route from rail from the West Coast to Texas and then distributed via trucks outwards. Um, and that is another reason. And then finally, when you look at um, the routing and the rollout, I-10 and I-20 are the ideal routes with the most traffic, at least with the Southwest, um, for, um, for trucking to be testing out their capabilities. The one final piece, I think, uh, not only for Texas, but the Southwest is purely the weather. Um, a lot of the technology on, on AV trucking uh, vehicles are not necessarily optimized for inclement weather. Um, so you want to be able to perfect that in the Southwest and particularly, you know, around the Texas Triangle. You're right about policy and uh, under former Governor Perry did a wonderful job and current Governor Abbott's done a wonderful job. And they've gone out of their way where they're going to attract these companies. And I'll never forget it when uh, Governor Rick Perry was governor of Texas. He went to California and he got Toyota to move. And the headline in the LA Times was the next the next day was, this one hurts. And they've done an incredible job in Texas of setting the groundwork. But you're also involved with the, the Alliance Texas Mobility Innovation Zone in North Fort Worth. And you did a deal with Too Simple. And I want to read something to you because you were quoted as stating, automation technologies will transform how we plan, source, make, and deliver goods across the globe. We are excited to work with Hillwood and other MIZ collaborators in providing the right environment for deploying autonomous trucking to scale. What is the Alliance Texas Mobility Innovation Zone and Hillwood doing to build this wonderful environment for the technology? Because you're right in the middle of it. So I love your perspective because this is awesome. We started working with Hillwood, which is the real estate development group of Alliance Texas uh, almost two years ago. And they had a vision about utilizing their current industrial area, Alliance Texas, and formulating an innovation zone based on the capabilities that they were able to bring. Uh, Ross Perot Jr. is the chair of Hillwood. Um, he had a grand vision more than 30 years ago of developing uh, that region north of Fort Worth. And to this date, um, Alliance Texas is approximately 27,000 acres. Uh, it had the first public-private industrial airport that was built more than 30 years ago. Uh, that, that supports FedEx, UPS, Amazon, and other commercial cargo. Uh, they have the BNSF Intermodal Rail Yard, uh, which brings in close to a million uh, containers on a yearly basis from the port of Long Beach, um, and 3,000 plus trucks going in and out daily, 20 million plus square feet of distribution, manufacturing, logistics facilities, and so forth um, that houses uh, the Walmarts, the Targets, the Cargills, the, you know, the Amazons of the world, um, all that you can think of with respect to regional um, commercial distribution facilities. Uh, also, the reason why we, we've also engaged them too is because 
Deloitte University, our National Excellence Center, is located also there in that region, um, plus other corporations that have moved there over time. And the when you look at the building blocks of industrial um, airports, rail, um, residential, corporate, all within a consolidated area with having influence by one real estate organization, it is the recipe that we look for in order to be able to accelerate the commercialization of mobility. One of the challenges that I've personally faced uh, when trying to accelerate mobility is trying to get aligned multiple stakeholders in a in a potential regional area. Um, but with, with Hillwood, you consolidate that with one major stakeholder who then has the tight relationships with other entities to be able to coordinate that. So that relationship that we built with Hillwood in saying, okay, let's build this innovation zone. Let's have it focus on a couple of key initiatives, but not necessarily just on for demonstration purposes, but key for commercialization and utilizing the facilities and the companies on site to be able to realize those use cases laid the foundation of interest by many companies that want to be able to move to Alliance Texas. And Too Simple is just one of the many organizations um, that you know Hillwood has been driving towards that region. And honestly, it goes back to your earlier comment about how Texas is open for business and driving a lot of interest from other corporations, especially emerging tech companies, to move into Texas. Because if, if I'm a CEO of an emerging mobility company with over 100 plus million in the bank, the mobility innovation zone is very appealing to me because I can network there, I can scale there in a controlled environment. And I think it's, I really want to point this out as well, is they're also testing um, vertical takeoff and landing there as well. So it's not just trucking. Are there other sorts of in mobility innovations that are happening there as well besides the EV tolls and trucking? Right now, we've, we've identified two key areas to focus on. One is autonomous and integrated freight. Um, so not only with respect to Too Simple moving out to Alliance Texas, there's a confidential project being developed around integrated freight. Um, and then the other aspect is supporting and setting up a UAS proving ground. Uh, there has been recently a test flight with Bell um, with their App 70. Uh, this happened um, early in um, October, uh, demonstrating the capabilities there at Alliance Texas. Um, there are more confidential testings that are going on at that space. But I think most importantly is that the, the proving ground sets the groundwork uh, for more tests to come. When you look at what's going on on aerial mobility, the majority of the tests are done out in the desert where there's minimal uh, restrictions with respect to air, air classifications. Uh, the Alliance Texas Innovation Zone is unique because not only do you have on the north and west of the, the zone uh, air classification where there's minimal uh, restrictions, but you have the airport itself, which Hillwood runs um, so that you have you know, the authority to potentially do test runs in alignment with, with the, uh, the airport. But also you're on the border of DFW Airport, um, which is about 10 miles east. And then you have restricted classifications there. So when you think about CONOPS, concepts of operations, you can really test multiple cases in that region, um, especially when it comes to, you know, how do you manage the, the flight in that region? One thing I do want to point out is that Hillwood has formulated a relationship with Uber Elevate. 
Uh, one of the first vertiports, uh, which is actually under construction right now, is being built at Frisco, Texas with Hillwood. Um, and that relationship with Uber Elevate and Hillwood has been something that uh, helps you know, further validate the, the uh, importance of the innovation zone and the path towards commercialization by having that site. Uber Elevate super cool. We've had Mark Moore uh, from Uber Elevate who talked all about the NAS and Puff and Paper and Uber Elevate strat uh, strategy on a previous podcast. I think it's a fair assumption to say that Alliance Texas is clearly enabling the future. So as they enable the future, you're working on the future of mobility. So I'd love to ask you, what is the future of mobility? The future of mobility? I mean, I, I mentioned earlier in the call in a sense of Deloitte's position, but reality, the future of mobility is... Things moving so seamlessly, so easily that you don't have to think twice about it. And I think that's that's what's crazy is that we're going to be so efficient um, in a way that was unimaginable. That the you know congestion goes away, um, our environmental consideration goes away. I think that's the future, and that's the vision we want to drive for. Um, either that, or we just start developing teleportation, and that solves everything. You could be a science fiction writer and do a cool, awesome Star Trek show. <laughs> so, Rashik, as we look to wrap up this wonderful conversation, and hopefully one day that you'll write a really great episode of Star Trek or Star Wars and you'll become this famous science fiction writer, I like to kind of bring it back home and ask you this. What would you like our listeners to take away with them about the future mobility and its impact on their daily lives? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned at Deloitte um, was realizing that the future of mobility is all around us. Sometimes when you say, you know, looking at the, like where mobility is today, we think about cars, we think about trains, planes, uh, and, and we're just like, that's what it is. The reality is, is that the concept of mobility and the optimization of mobility impacts our entire life. From the package that gets through our door to us being able to have access to healthcare, education, jobs, to the ability for um, supporting national security uh, when we think about um, you know distribution of goods across the U.S., to insurance, um, telecommunications, infrastructure development. There's just so many different things. I mean, even down to chemicals. Uh, imagine if we get to the future of autonomous vehicles, all of a sudden the, the construct of vehicles completely change. Um, and then, you know, the chemical compositions of what's needed, um, the recyclability of that and with respect to the life cycle of those components change. And then the one and other important component that I know we didn't necessarily touch on is electrification, clean energy. So it's, it's really the future mobility is all encompassing. And solving the challenges around the ecosystem is really important to, to, to see that future uh, come to life. So the one thing that I would say to take away is when you look at mobility, don't look at it from one vertical point or one particular component. Take a step back and look at the ecosystem and look at how you can make a change from an ecosystem perspective and being willing to be aligned on that shared vision and also being willing to lay your hand out there and being able to collaborate. And as we've heard on during this conversation, the future mobility is exciting and it's going to have a positive impact on, on every single individual's lives around the world. So Rashik, 
Thank you so much for taking your time to come on the podcast to share your wonderful insights with us today. Grayson, thank you so much. It's really great to catch up with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person one day soon. I can't wait to get on a plane and come see you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please rate, review, and kindly let us know what topics you'd like us to explore next. Be sure to tune in next week for an innovative conversation with Lucid Motors. And follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and to continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.